as we were just sharing about in recovery the root of the problem is obsession with self they say now if you've ever been obsessed with anything like for me I was obsessed with drugs cocaine for quite a while but I not, never at not one point did I ever become cocaine I was obsessed with it. I loved it. I didn't love anything more in my whole life than Coke until this day. But I never turned into Coke. Yeah? It was always like I was doing the Coke. It wasn't like I was the Coke. Yeah? So the obsession goes pretty damn far here in, in, the, in where life demonstrates itself. Some obsessions are pretty extreme. You can see some of those people where in the horror movies where the woman's, you know, starts identifying with a starlet and then she starts dressing like her and starts trying to go to the same dinner places and tries to date the same people then she starts killing everyone that's closer to her and then finally have to kill her so that she can become her yeah even that seems extreme extreme but if you look at the ball game of obsession identification is so 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 far beyond obsession because you have you have become identified as what you were obsessed over. Yeah? You pass the line, usually. And once you're identified as the problem, as recovery talks about itself, is what has defeated you, if you're identified as that, even when you're studying the problem, you'll be studying it as the problem. Before, because all intents and purposes, you're, you're being identified at that very moment you're trying to learn about self, you're learning about self as a quote-unquote self. In recovery, they say, self-knowledge will avail you nothing. So the, one of the main movements of self in the mental stream is it claims. Whatever it becomes conscious of, it claims. So the self, let's say when we first started here, there was sentience and consciousness, and that conscious, that mind, said, hey, who am I? Probably did. Which is an incredibly beautiful question. But then the mind itself answered itself, which is, I'm a body, yeah? I'm this. I'm an object. I'm the subject, yeah? This is an object, but it's taken to be the subject. It's taken to be Paul, yeah? And now Paul becomes who you live from all day. And as you grow and get conditioned and get educated more and more, that idea of being Paul is enforced and reinforced and reinforced. Yet, if you look at one of the things that happens here in life, the only way you meet this place that you call the world is through conscious contact. You're seeing it, hearing it, feeling it, tasting it, touching it, and thinking about it. You're seeing thoughts about the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. That is our experience of being here. There's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and then there's thoughts about seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching. Or in Buddhism they would say the, the mind is the sixth sense. It sees thoughts like the eye sees a bird if it flew by the window. Yeah? So there's conscious contact. So prior to any thought of you, there's been in the awareness of that thought. Yeah? Without consciousness, there would be no information being downloaded here. There's got to be something that's aware of what's happening, yeah? or conscious to what's happening. Now, conscious contact, let's say, is the verb of consciousness, okay? You want to use the word spirit, whatever you want to call it. But there's something that is a sense of a no-thingness, it's not in form, and yet it's witnessing everything that's happening here. And then what, the first thing it sees through, in a sense, is the body. Yeah? So there's consciousness having contact with this place through a body. It's almost like this is the camera, the brain, and this body. This is the camera, and then there's the light that moves through the camera, and the camera has all these reels of conditioning and ideas and old beliefs, and th that light illuminates that film and it gets projected into a life, into a world, into all this, into that, yes? So, before you, as this, there was consciousness. Yeah. 
consciousness is here, and then where you believe you start is, let's say, the next step, which is the first thing you become conscious of is a body. Yeah? So here you go. So now this is the way it is, and it's never going to change. There's never going to be a point where the body that's being claimed to be you is going to be the thing that's conscious. Yeah. But here, when the consciousness was noted, the mental process said, I'm conscious. It claimed the consciousness, and now it became a product that you own, that you are the one that's conscious. But in fact, that's not true. The only reason, the only way there could be even a sense of a you is consciousness. Without consciousness, there would never have been a sense of you. And yet that sense of you has now claimed the consciousness and says, I'm conscious. Yeah? I'm conscious. I'm seeing. I'm hearing. I'm feeling. I'm tasting. I'm touching. I'm thinking. So the thinking is, if you're thinking, stop. Let's say you were running, and if you and someone said stop running, you could stop, couldn't you? If you seem to have been running, you just can't, I can't help myself. I really want to stop. You know, you wouldn't have to have like a, a running therapist. How? Why can't I stop? It'd be okay. Stop. Stop running. But why can't you stop thinking? Eh? Stop. Because you're not the thinker, obviously. You're not the thinker of every thought that's ever come through your noggin has never been thought by you, not one. You are not the thinker of the thoughts. And yet, how you hold all thoughts is, I'm the thinker of them. Or, they're about me. Hundreds, actually, they say 70,000 thoughts a day. Tons of thoughts are coming through your head, and underneath all that activity of seeing the thoughts, there's these two old ideas, which are thoughts also. I'm the thinker of that, or they're about me. Me is this. Yeah? So all thoughts are about self. They're from, they are an activity of a system of thought interpretation called self-centeredness. All thoughts are directly or indirectly related to selfing. All, all, all thoughts. Yeah? And also, they're always from the past. So here you are, conscious contact, and here's Paul, but now Paul thinks it's conscious. So let's say something happens. There's an event. There was a bird being seen. But you're not living in the conscious contact. You're living in the interpretation of the conscious contact, which starts with, I'm the one who saw the bird. That takes a little while to download. The interpretation of seeing the bird that way takes a little while to download. So your present moment is actually an interpretation of the past. Seeing the bird already happened by the time your head goes, oh, I saw the bird. It's already a past event. So basically every one of us are like a, a day-old newspaper in a sense. Things are occurring, but when they occur, we're not really aware of them. We're out to lunch because we're waiting for the head to say, oh, that happened to me. As soon as it says that happened to me, then there's a binding to it, right? You lock into that story. Okay, it happened to me. But you weren't really even present for the happening. The happening went unnoticed. The mind interpreted it, and that's what you live by, is the interpretation. So what we're calling this moment is actually not this moment. It's the last seeming moment. Yeah? Because we're getting the interpretation now of the last moment. And now, what's happening now is being missed, and we're going to get the interpretation of this moment, the next moment. Yeah? So on and so forth. And there's no place where that little thing ends until the time of death for the body. And when that occurs, you're going to be totally out to lunch. Because the body is going to die, the 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 little voice boxes of the body and the brain, that's going to die at the moment of death, yet you are going to be waiting to hear the news about that moment. <laughs> and you missed the biggest maybe event that you ever had prior, you know, maybe combined with the idea of being born here, which you're totally unaware of, aren't you? You missed the only thing of the bookend of this thing called life, you missed the bus 
because you're waiting for your head to tell you, I died, but <laughs> you passed away. <laughs> so, so here, conscious contact has been interpreted as I'm the one that's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and thinking. That is a huge difference between how you're living. Yeah? It's huge. If you're living on a time delay and all you're getting is the interpretation of your crazy little self-centered system of thought and interpretation, <laughs> and that's all you've got to go for with, you're going to have probably a lot of need to get relief from that insanity. Yeah. And so now you look at people in this place, in the society, everyone's freaking addicted to something. Everyone is seeking relief. But they're not seeking the relief from the real source of it all because they're identified as it. They believe they have a drug problem. The drug problem is actually seen as a solution to the, inherent, the, the first problem, which is addiction to self. Yeah? It can always get and take back here. So let's say this is like a row of knots. And so let's say someone gets recovered. They go into AA or NA, whatever, and they get recovery. Then they start acting out sexually, or they start acting out with food. The mind's addictive quality is still not getting the real relief it needs, which is from self. It's going to produce a movement in other directions. Okay, I'm done with the alcohol, but now I'm, a, I'm on computer pornography all fucking night. I'm done, all right, I'm done with that. Now I'm spending inordinate amount of money on clothes. Now I'm doing this. I'm stalking some woman who I never even said hello to because in my head she's my girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? These weird fucking addictive behaviors keep occurring because the root cause of them hasn't been addressed. Because you'll know the tree by the fruit. When you find out, if you get to that first knot, and there's no getting to it, you just entertain it, and that first knot to me is, I am not that. I am not a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. I don't need to know what I am because it's impossible, but I can, it's really nice to know what I'm not. So there's a declaration from my gut, hey, I'm not that. And then something starts occurring that would never occur through that system of selfing. I could get 12 massages in a day and I won't have the relaxation I have when I'm, quote-unquote, out of that idea of being a self. I can take 40 holidays out of the 52 weeks. I'm still going to be flipped out because every time in Hawaii, I'm thinking I should be somewhere else. And every time I'm somewhere else, I'm thinking I should be in Hawaii. The mind is just going to go crazy, crazy, and you have no immunity to it. Because your whole life is based on its interpretation. The only way you know anything's going on is through thought. Most people don't even know what a feeling is. They can't name it right correctly. They think anger and rage and all this. They get close. It's sort of like throwing darts in the dark. We are so out to lunch. We're just living, waiting to hear an interpretation of life based on a crazy freaking system of thought. Everyone's seeking. Everyone's in the business of trying to find relief, aren't they? All freaking day. Constantly seeking relief, 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 because I take myself to be this and this. And this and this need, need a lot of relief when they're given the meaning of being me. You're like the worst person to be running the show. Yeah. I could turn my life over to a door catcher and you do a better job than I do. I spent two years in a drug and alcohol program, two years, 24-7, every day. When I left that place, I didn't like them, I didn't like their principles, but I had to admit my life looked better with them running it than it ever did with me running it. Yeah? You would expect that you, if you had vested interest in your life, it would promote you to do better. It actually does the exact opposite. That's why in recovery you go help other people. You get out of yourself. Even people I know who are big pro-seekers, professional seekers, they're still very unhappy because they have, they're all semi-retired, they have the money, they go to everywhere to see all these people, but they're not helping anybody. The selfing is just totally claimed, the, of all, claimed all the seeking, and the seeker is now suffering 
As soon as any verb becomes a noun, there's suffering. Yes. Seeking, seeking is fine, but when, it, when there's the idea of being a seeker, that's the suffering. So the, sometimes I, these people come, and they are pros. And I say, listen, why don't you don't come back the next meeting? Just go help somebody. Do some service at a soup kitchen. Don't help someone you know. Just do it to a stranger. I bet you you'll feel so much better than the next 50th meeting of spirituality you go to. Have a sense of what it feels like to be out of self. Feel it. Feel what it's like when you're out of self. What happens is you're available. You're present. And therefore you're of service. Well, what occurs is, okay, here's someone in this, got that hair, you know, that helmet on, selfing. It's the atmosphere of anxiety is what they live on. You live mostly in reaction to what's not happening all day, don't you? Has, I bet you most of the anxieties and fears you had today had nothing to do with today. Had to do with last week or next week or 2006 or 2013 or when I get married. Yeah? The mind is just going off, living in a mental realm. In this mental realm, there's a present, but it's bookended by a past and a future. And the mind is just traveling there through thought, going to an imaginary field, does not exist, and is cultivating a product called anxiety, bringing it back here to this moment and downloading it into your fucking body. So you're sitting here with a clenched fist and yet there's no threat. You're sitting here with extreme anxiety, but there's nothing happening here. There's nobody with a gun pointing at you. Why is there so much anxiety? Because your mind isn't here for all intents and purposes. It's dwelling in one of its little magical realms of what's not happening. Maybe it's next Friday for you. Maybe for Sunday it's two months ago. Maybe for me it's 2014. That's why it's so confusing when you try to tell people how you're feeling so shitty, but they can't see why. Because it's not coming from now. It's coming from what's not happening. And they have an experience, but their what's not happening is different than yours. It's very rare that both of you have the same what's not happening, the same day about the same thing. It's usually a couple of days off at least. So you're worried about next Friday, I'm worried about next Tuesday. Yeah. So when you tell me how important it is to be worried about what's not happening concerning you, I find it to me your mountains look like a molehill. I go, what the fuck are you worried about? But I have my own little mountain range that seems like a molehill to you. Because most people are reacting to a physical experience produced by the mind's obsession with what's not happening. You don't think you're going to want relief from that? And you don't think that no matter how bad the consequences were, you'll still go to the same old well if there's no other well offered? I've seen a lot of people get loaded again and they fucking know better but they need relief now, and they're not getting it by going to a picnic or a barbecue or doing this. So they go back and shoot some dope or drink again, and then the whole realm opens up again. There's no immunity. They have no defense against that first drink and that thing, because all the thoughts that precede that first drink, they have no immunity to. Every one of those thoughts is seen as my thought or about me. I have total immunity to your thoughts. If you came to me, my house, and shared for four hours some horrific, unbelievable four hours worth of horrific forecasts and speculations in your head, I'd, have, I'd be sitting there and it'd have absolutely no effect on me. None. I'd be sitting there, and actually I'd probably have a lot of wisdom about it. I'd say, Jesus, you know, I don't know, like Solomon, I'd be like this. No effect. Yet you're totally immersed in it. Now, I could have the same thoughts another day, and they'll have a huge effect on me at that point. What's the difference? It's not the thoughts, it's the my of the thought. It's the act of identifying with the thoughts as the thinker or about you. That's what gives it all the juice. That's why someone has, they share their thoughts, I have an immunity to their thoughts. They, if I 
see the same thoughts as mine, I have no immunity to it. I know this has nothing to do with thoughts, I'm telling you. It has to do with the act of identifying with the thoughts. The same thing with trying to manage your body. If it's your body, your managing skills will probably suck concerning your body. But if you can let go of the your and see it as a body, it might go pretty well. Same thing with relationship. Yeah? I have a wonderful time with a girl until she becomes my girlfriend. And then stalking occurs or something like that. I start the man thinking I have a right to know what she did today. <laughs> She's my girlfriend. I should know. What the fuck is that? The my is the act of being identified. Yes? So body, my body. Thoughts, my thoughts. Time, my time. It's experience where it's so clear. It's like, I don't know how to explain this. It's so clear when there's a, a uh, release in some sense, a surrender from this selfing that you're talking about. And whereas what before seems so dense and affecting me and everything around me affecting me, all of a sudden, it's just like you don't even have to think. It's so easy to see how the storylines in people's minds, how they're immersed and they're living in, in their own world in that way. And, it, it, and seeing that is so effortless. It's just, and then, then a thought will come up. Because this condition is ingrained so strong. So strong. I'm just reiterating, I'm really kind of re- reiterating what you share. All of a sudden I'm immersed in this thing and I can't... See, but you're not. Not me. It it's your head. head. Person that's immersed. There's no person ever that's right. been immersed in anything. Right, so a, self, a, a, a person appears to come back in through a thought. Yeah, that's a thought. Yeah, a exactly. Person, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah. So it just hit me because I just recently got a cut like all of a sudden I'm looking around and awareness, everything's totally easy and different and easy, and then it becomes a heightened perception <laughs> that seems to go along with the territory to be able to see that people are living in boxes and down. Let's see this here. Today, that's a problem to me. Tomorrow, it's not a problem to me. The next day, it is a problem to me. What is it? A problem or not a problem? I give it all the meaning it has. If something that had an effect on you once doesn't have an effect on you, did it actually ever have have the ability to affect anything? It's all freaking made up. Yes? You and I are given everything, not this mind is giving everything all the meaning it has, all freaking day. All day. Everything, if this is a problem one day, it's based on the condition of my mind. Yeah? It's not a problem next day, it's also based on the condition of my mind. Then again, my condition of my mind can change as a self, there's a problem. What is it? Is it a problem or isn't it a problem? It's neither. It's nothing in a sense. You give it the meaning it has. That's what mind does. It's giving everything the meaning. Have you, if you go to enough meetings in recovery, you're going to hear one day that someone's going to say this, because I've heard it a number of times, that they're going to have to revise their meaning to things because the thing they thought was the worst thing that ever happened to them is now the best thing that ever happened to them. The worst thing for years, and they had many stories in their head that backed up it up, it was the worst thing. They probably embellished it over the years. It became the excuse for all the reasons why things didn't work out. Then what occurs is, let's say, they get a shift in perspective. Yes? In that new perspective, it's seen as the best thing that ever happened to it. You can't be more extreme than that to recognize something is not real. Perceptual reality is not real. It's based on the meaning you give things. So there it is. The worst thing that ever happened to me can suddenly can become the best thing that happened to you because it wasn't the worst thing that ever happened to you and it's also not the best thing that ever happened to you. It's just the meaning the mind gave it. Change mind and you'll change everything else. Yeah? How are you going to change mind? Well, a lot of people are trying to change mind, but they're missing the thing that they're identified as self. Yeah? In the identification as self, everything that is done or, or is had, it's you having it and you doing it. So the system of selfing overrides everything that you can learn about it. Because it claims that knowledge and it becomes self-knowledge and it avails you and I nothing. It doesn't lead to the freedom from the bondage of self. 
If you entertain, I'm not that, that's the freedom. I'm not that. I, that's being what you are, which is seeing, clear seeing. I'm not that. So that's one way, and then the other way is seeing the illogic of the fact that we could reinterpret things and give different meaning to it. So that's a relative way. Those are like little slaps attempting to wake up the mind. Yeah. That's so all. It is on my back. That's the direct. Well, that's, see, it, it, that's in the gut. It's like an unspoken yes. And then it translates into you traveling lighter here. Because now it's, you're not fooled. Yes? The mind is seen. So everything that's arising has the same principle. I'm not that. I mean, everything that arises, I'm not. It's like the eye can see everything, but it can't see itself. So what you are is seen. But it can never be seen as an object. But it can, it's seeing everything else. Yeah? So by seeing everything else, obviously I'm not that which can be seen. That's what you are. That's the act of being awake to me. Yeah? You're awake. You're awake as the seeing. Not as Paul who's awake. Because if it's Paul who's awake, that awakeness is circumstantial and conditional, and then Paul will decide when the conditions don't meet up, and then Paul will be asleep again. Yes? And then Paul will have to try to do and have something to get awake again, only to entertain that it could be asleep if it stopped doing and having those things. So someone does a lot of meditation, maybe a beautiful, beautiful event. Then they're in the habit of doing meditation. In the morning they miss their meditation. That whole day is interpreted as a bad day because they didn't meditate. So now their sense of having a good day is conditioned on meditation. That's another bonding. Freedom is unconditional. Freedom is seen. It's not a form of looking. Forms of looking can only be helpful here in this place of looking. And the best they can do is show their own obsoleteness. After they correct the original way you've been looking... Let's say here, like in recovery, there's a book called A New Pair of Glasses. So let's say self-centeredness is a certain pair of glasses. And we have alcoholism or addiction. So we have this pair of glasses on self-centeredness called alcoholism. And it's creating a lot of distortions in our life. Well, we're seeing threats where they don't exist. People who want to help us, we see them as enemies. I mean, it can get way out there. You're so off what's going on. So then we, meet a, we find a new way of looking. So we get this, let's say, a recovery program. We put those glasses on, and they start correcting the distortions of the alcoholic glasses, yes? But very rarely does anyone bring it to the original pair of glasses, which is self-centeredness, which is identification as self. That's the original pair of glasses that are being taken to be your natural way of seeing, and it isn't. That pair can also be removed, and that's natural seeing. Yeah? Naturally seeing. When you were a kid, did you need to meditate? Did you have to take workshops to feel like you're in the moment? Did you have to jump off a bridge to get a rush to feel like you're alive? No. I played for three years with like 13 army men underneath an old apple tree with Wayne Griffith, my neighbor. It's amused as hell, constantly. What the fuck happened? The mind got enveloped or grew into self-centeredness. Yes? And so, when you were playing when you were kids, see, I wasn't in an abusive situation, so it was very idyllic, you know? I didn't, I wasn't measuring the room size to think someone had a bigger house than me, I could care less, I, everything was, I was getting fed, I had a place to sleep, I had a dog, everything was fine. So there I am, playing with ants, and I'll tell you, there was no narration going on, oh, Paul's playing with ants, and there was no idea of, oh, will I be playing with ants next week, because I had no idea of next week. My mother could have been super ugly and fat, and I didn't care because I had no idea of beauty and ugliness. I had no way of comparing people and saying who deserves love and who doesn't based on what they look like. Yeah? All that hadn't occurred yet. And I didn't have, when I was doing something, there didn't seem to be any other option, and that was incredibly peaceful and freeing. Then the mind opens up and starts interpreting your life as if things could be different. So a lot of people call me up and it always gets boiled down to this. I think something's happening to me. No, something is happening to me and I think it could be different. That is fucking hell. You can see life is happening. 
Self-centeredness is always, it's happening to me. As soon as it happens to you, the you, that sense of you represents mind, the mind starts thinking about it. Oh, why is this happening to me? Why isn't it happening to him? But, 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 and selfing just explodes. Yes? You leave all sense of being in contact consciously, and you go up the ass of self, and you live in that realm of what's not happening. And it's producing incredibly adverse effects, and you get addicted to whatever you believe is going to relieve it. Yes? No, go ahead. Yes. Yes. We'll be all around. Take care of yourself. Yes. Send bitch slap. That could I could maybe I should I should I should frame this in time because that was a pretty good Zen bitch slap original type Zen bitch slap. I've had a few where people came in. Can you know how to go down? No, no, no. Go out the back door. Go past a little bit. Make a left and go down the stairs and enter. You see it? Yeah. So the thing is, like, let's say here we are and we're at a meeting of waves. Yeah, all of us are waves, and we're talking about the ocean. And some of us waves have maybe gotten dissatisfied with wave life. Yeah, we've hit almost every shore you can hit in very special waves in our lives and still it doesn't translate we're not feeling really as well as we could entertain we could yeah so now we're at the one of the last stops for a wave which is oh let's talk about the ocean so everyone's talking about the ocean describing the incredible immense size of the ocean and the beautifulness of it and the wetness of it and everything like that and it sounds really nice to us we're interested in it but the best we can come up with is, hey, if I keep studying and maybe I can do some ocean meditation and everything like that, so I can, I as a wave can start feeling like the ocean. Yeah? But you have to see the sense of being a wave is, an, is the act of denial of mind to being the ocean. Yeah? The sense of being a wave, the sense of being what you are right now, is the act of denial of what you truly are. Can you say that again? The sense of being what you are right now, the sense of being an individual, long-lasting, separate entity, or in this little analogy, a wave, is the act of denial of being the ocean. See? One of the best ways for it to actively deny being the ocean is to want to really have an experience of the ocean, but as a wave. And then you can go on, and there's great books that will describe oceanness, and you can be able to quote it and everything like that, and yet you're trying to understand ocean as a wave. It can't be anything other than what you are initially. So all you need to do, in my view, is just see if you're a wave. If you're not a wave, that's the ocean. Instantly. There's no time and no process to be the ocean because you are the ocean. The time and process is to be a wave, because you're not a wave. That's why you have to live on a time delay and have an interpretation take the place of living, because that's where the wave is formed, is in the mental interpretation. The moment of oceanness is prior to that interpretation, and that's conscious contact. So the conscious contact is ocean meeting shore, the interpretation of the opinions about the shore and the size of the wave is the wave, yes? It's an interpretation. That wave is never going to cross that seeming very little moment of interpretation because it's like the difference between heaven and earth, really. It's never going to travel over that and, be, and become the ocean as a wave, yeah? It's a matter of just seeing I'm not the wave, and all of that is just pshht. And now instead of studying about the ocean, the sense of being the ocean while living as it will download. Yeah? A different form of knowledge. Not like I study it and I go over it, but it happens by living. This is studying it only a moment. 
The studying it arises, and the studying it is of a wave studying the ocean. So, to describe all the ways a wave can look like, to me, has value here. Yes? But to describe all the qualities of the ocean has no value, because most people will be hearing those qualities as the wave. Has no value. But if you can point out the qualities of being a wave, and there's an identification of mind with that, it goes, wow... That could be a nice little Zen bitch slap, and then a sense of oceanness overrides the denial of the wave. Yeah, it's so nice, it's so nice in a way. And then it translates to a traveling radar, which is what everyone wants anyway here, as a wave. <laughs> That's all they're hoping for is to travel lighter as a wave. Well, the best way you can travel lighter as a wave is realize you're not a wave. The best way you can travel lighter is the ocean, yeah? <laughs> we had, I was at a recovery thing yesterday, and they, people were talking about this stuff, and uh, a lot of doing and having, which I totally, you know, can see. But there is a point that it says it in our recovery, it says, all right, when you've come into, when you come out of this whole maelstrom of getting your ass kicked, and then you come into recovery, and they present these principles of life, and you and sincerely take one of their positions, which is to rely on something greater than self, yeah, which is the prime position of recovery, is to rely on something that's greater than self. Well, you sincerely take that position. Now, that sincere position doesn't stay just as a sincere position. After a period of time, you get established in that position, which produces all other different effects than when you were sincerely taking the position, yes? So, at a point in this, when you're entertaining, I'm not a wave, like Buddha said, all right, you take a raft, because you're on a shore, let's say you're on the shore of self, and you want to get out of self, so you take this raft, and it takes you to the other shore. When you get to the other shore, yeah, you, may, you pull the raft up, or maybe you send it back, if you think there's other people back there, and maybe you pull it up and you put it in an honored place and you cover it, but you don't carry around the raft anymore because it's done its job. It's taking you to the other shore. It's time to enjoy the other shore now. The point is freedom. Not methods and processes and paths, but freedom. Yeah. I wasn't thinking of a process when I was three or four years old. I wasn't thinking, oh, I didn't meditate today, I can't have a good day. I was wide awake. And when I was wide awake, there was no seeming need for anything. Yes? Ah! Maybe they go hand in hand. The seeming need may, may be a, a demonstration of an activity of unawakeness. You cannot be unawake, but the activity of believing you're something that can be unawake. Maybe that's what's producing all these needs to get solutions and satisfied. Yeah? Maybe if that was seen through, you would be satisfied. And I'll tell you, most of your behavior would change dramatically if you were truly satisfied. You could have been the greatest seeker for 20 years, and if this hits you, that's it. You're probably not going to pick up, you know, whatever. Whatever you do is going to be done in a relaxed manner because you realize, I need to do nothing. There's nothing I need to do. First of all, there's nothing that you, as a you, are capable of doing. You cannot produce a real effect here. Everything is appearances. All the, thing, all the appearances, even though they have a supreme effect on you as an appearance, have no effect on reality. One bit. A non-cause effect cannot cause anything. Yes? The reality is the context. What we're perceiving and thinking about and feeling and sensing is the content. Yes, We're taking ourselves to be a body and we're taking ourselves to be the subject. Yeah? We're casting an object as the subject and therefore as soon as this becomes a subject, everything else becomes an object to it. Truth, enlightenment, everything like that becomes an object you're going to try to get as this subject. But truthfully, this is a dreamt object. The pure subjectivity is what we are. Everyone in this room is an I. And everyone else is a you to that I. Yeah? 
But everyone here is an I. Everyone here, everything gets brought back to the one subjectivity. I. I, I. Yes? Everything. No matter how many times you call yourself I, everyone else is doing the same thing. <laughs> not, not one person here is calling themselves for you. They're all calling themselves an I. Yeah? All of the activity here, of the pseudo-subjectivity, always gets brought back to the true subjectivity. Yet we can't see it because we keep calling it Paul. There's no need... You're not going to acquire a new way of seeing. Seeing is all there is. It's just recognizing it's not you that's looking. Yeah. That's what's seeing. We're always on, every one of us is on the money. We keep saying I every day. You're on the money, but the I, you're, that, the mental image of that I is what's off. The I has become identified as this. So the I has been now hidden from conscious view as this. And yet, wherever you go back, it's always back to what? I. second. Okay. But it isn't a transformation because that would assume that something needs to be transformed. It's even quicker than that. It's just recognizing nothing has ever really happened here. The seeing is still seeing. Yeah? Nothing has never had an a interruption or a hiccup or never blinked an eye. There's always just seeing. It's like the consciousness of verb, of, or the verb of consciousness is seeing. All there is is that. Yeah. So nothing that has ever happened here, like if I would go back to my hometown and go to the, where I committed the most horrendous act, in the space there would be no mark of that. Yeah. Just like if I took this chair away, if I moved that chair, let's say that chair has been there for 40 years in that same place, and a lot of important asses have sat on that chair. A lot of big things have been said from that chair. If I moved that chair, would I have to move any space back into it, where it was? I mean, if I did, I'm pretty fast. Now, where could you see any effects of the chair? Only on other appearances, like the rug. And let's say it was up against the wall. But on the space, there's no history of it ever being there. It had no effect on the space. No matter how many years it was there, it doesn't leave any mark. Yeah. So on an appearance, I can make a big bang here in the realm of appearances. But in the space, there's no 
I have no effect as this. I would say I'm that space more than I'm an appearance in it. I'm also the appearance, but I'm that space. Just like if you looked at the sky. You never hear a plane report that they've run into some sky up there, have you? Big planes go through it all day. Fourth of July explosions, they never rip the sky open. It rains, the sky never gets wet. You know? Tons of this happens, but it never seems to have no effect on it. I would say the reality is more the sky than what appears in it. I would say our reality is more the space than the appearance in the space. This has no effect on space, on that space. And yet that space can influence this quite a lot, because this is of that. Yes? This is truly of that, but this as this is not. But this is truly of that. Yeah? So there's space and there's the appearance of space. There's no difference. It says this appearance has taken itself to be a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. It's separated itself from the remembrance of being space. And now it's looking for space all fucking day in its life. Yet all the while, all it have to do is question its own mistaken identity, and that would be space. And then it's seen, like some great statements are, I need do nothing, or you'll see that nothing ever really happened here. It doesn't minimize the effects of this place. This place has effects on you as an effect, big time. But, in a sense, nothing ever happened here. Just like that chair doesn't have doesn't seem to have ever been here once it's removed, does it? I can't see any mark of it at all. Bye-bye. If I didn't know there was a chair there at one time, I wouldn't know there was ever a chair, would I? But the space is always there. I would say that's what we are. We are that living space, let's say. It's not that risk of sounding ignorant. I just wanted to, my interpretation is not like just don't think, just be. But you can't not think. But just, just realize they're not your thoughts. So how do you realize that? Maybe entertain that they're not your thoughts. You can entertain that. It's a thought also, but it's like using the poison as an antidote. So have a thought about thoughts, which is they're not mine. Yeah? Like I heard today, you're watching a movie and you're not participating in the movie. You're in the seats, like watching how those are your thoughts. Yes. Yeah. That's not you. Yeah, but see, the thing is, where if you're seeing it that way, no matter how far away your seat is, if you believe they're your thoughts or they're about you, the distance doesn't limit their effects. What's binding you aren't the thoughts, in my humble view. It's the act of being identified as the thinker of them. I've seen it. How could I not have the same thoughts as his and have no effect when they're in his head or when I recognize they're his? And yet the same thoughts will drive me crazy if I see them as mine. They're not the thoughts that have the punch. It's the prior to the thoughts. It's the identification as it. Check it out. That's the act of bondage. You, me and you have never been bonded. You can never, you as what you are could never be bonded. It can only appear to be bonded. It's a verb. That's why I call it selfing, yeah? The selfing, it appears that you are this, but it can never be this. You, what you are, could never become this. But it can appear to be, yes? That's why the selfing is a verb. It's constantly selfing because if, it, if you have a break, you have some of those free samples, yeah? When the selfing gets startled, there's a, there's a life experience unadorned as self. And then those things you try to remember, but you remember as a self, yes? The self arises again and then it claims, oh, like an epiphany. I use this a lot, but people know, most people know what an epiphany is. It's like a spiritual event, let's say. Yeah, it's, to me, it's like timelessness appearing in the linear time frame. And so what occurs is there's life lived unadorned as self, maybe for an hour, maybe 20 minutes, who knows, maybe five minutes, maybe a couple of hours. But usually you don't know what's going to happen, obviously. You never make reservations for it. It's just an interruption of the story called Paul. I've had a few, and I'm sure you probably have had some. So when that happens, there's a, 
whatever it could be. For me, it was very joyous, you know, very, very... The lady that was with me, I had a witness, which was good, because she saw my face, and all the adultness dropped off my face. So it was just like all that, all that contraction of selfing. Yes, the selfing is a huge contraction, yeah. I just dropped, and I was doing whatever I was doing. It was in a beautiful location, waterfall in Bali, and I was just blissed out. Then I heard, it was really weird, I heard a voice, a voice. At first it was just a voice. Then it started to sound familiar, like it was my voice, yeah? And it was behind a rock, and it seemed to be far away. And I, and I started hearing it very, very vaguely, and then it started talking to me, yeah? Started telling me stuff. So, and as it was talking to me, the, the volume went up, or my attention went to it more, yeah? And as it kept talking to me, 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 and then there was a certain point it started talking as me. And then I was seethed by the selfing again, yeah? <laughs> now, the perceptual beauty and everything lasted for another hour or two. I mean, I, you know, dew drops on big leaves, you know, just totally flipping itself out like a beautiful acid trip. But basically, I got... I got re-enveloped into selfing again, seemingly. Yeah? Yeah? But what happened is, when that occurred, usually with people who have after an epiphany, there's a thought, oh, I just had this incredible epiphany. That's when it usually ends. <laughs> That's the selfing. The selfing got startled, it reasserted itself, it came up and it claimed the event of the epiphany, which it had nothing to do with, and says, I had an epiphany. That nudes it immediately. That's what it's doing all day. Your head is aware that life is happening, but it's saying it's happening to me. It interprets it. And we have been checked out, and we've been living an interpretation, and that gap between living and living an interpretation has produced a lot of unease. And so we are seekers, and we're seeking relief. Some of us are extreme seekers, and we're conditioned to seek certain ways, like alcohol and drugs, and their names for us. Alcoholics and addicts. Yeah, but a lot of people are addicts in all their own little ways. Yes? But the original, it's the identification or the, seek, or the addiction to self. It's like in Buddhism, they call it, you cherish. The mind cherishes the self. Yeah? It made it up. It's, it loves it. It's difficult to break that bond when the mind's in love with what it's made. But if you see you're not that, you'll lose interest in it. That's what happened with me. Really. When you see the thoughts aren't yours or about you, you'll lose interest in them. I always, I'll used to end with this one last example because I like this one. Jeff's heard it hundreds of times. But there's a girl in the next room quite interested in I want to meet her. There you go. <laughs> I want to meet her and everything thinking I'm giving her a lot of meaning, you know. She's going to really save me or whatever, you know. I'm going to be married to her. I'll be probably very happily married to her. Maybe have two kids, whatever. So, I'm supposed to be doing a talk here or whatever, and, uh, but my interest is listening through the wall, trying to hear what she has to say, because I'm not expecting her to say something about me, because everyone's so self-centered. Yeah? So I'm there like this, and people go, hey, Paul, come, hey, you're supposed to be doing this talk, and I agree with them, but I can't seem to help myself. Then someone brings me a book and says, how to stop listening to conversations in another room, and I say, okay, I'll try, but I, and I did this, and then suddenly I hear her say something, and I'm really straining. And I hear she starts talking about a guy named Matt. Now, now my name is Paul. As soon as I hear it's about Matt, I lose interest immediately. I didn't have to take workshops on how to lose interest. As soon as I realized it wasn't about me, I lost interest in it. That's what happens. When you stop thinking these thoughts are all about you, or you're a thinker of them, you'll fucking lose interest in them because they're boring as hell. Seriously. They are so bogusly boring. I mean, how much, when someone comes to you and you starts talking about all the selfing going on in the head, aren't you bored stiff in five minutes? I mean, Jesus Christ, you want to do your laundry or do something. But you've been listening to the same thing for 40 years, thinking it's incredibly novel and very, very important. Why is that? Because it's held as you. It's about you. That's the glue. That's why you're bonded to the idea of being a self. You think the self is you. If you realized or entertained it wasn't, you'd probably not be bonded to it. Because you would lose interest in it. It's not virtue. It's not making a noble spiritual decision. You'll just lose interest in it. Because it's not you. 
Now, people can't make that leap a lot of times, so we're starting to, hey, just entertain the possibility. It's not a draft or a conscription. You don't have to do it. Just see. While all those thoughts are going around, see, hey, maybe they, possibly they're not about me, or I'm not the thinker of them. So then you'll lose interest in it, and your thoughts will not triangulate you in, into a physical location all day, and you'll be open and available to what's actually happening here, which is presence, you know, conscious contact, juiciness, aliveness, instead of an interpretation of it. Maybe. Yeah, it's a mental process. All the brain's doing is producing mental states, yeah? Aren't, isn't that what you're experiencing? There's a mental state called a, being a body. That's a mental state. All these things are frames of experiences. So there's, there's experiences, mental states arising, and they're framed, yeah? Though I found the biggest frame is self-centeredness. They're producing a lot of mental experiences, mental states. And then there's alcoholism in my life, which was the secondary biggest frame. That was producing a lot of mental states. Then there's other ones, you know, being a man, being a woman, being a parent. All these produce states. Mental frames produce experiences, mental experiences. But they're all beholden to the one major frame, which is selfing. Because that one there's an identification as. You can't see the forest from the trees because you're identified. <laughs> you can't see it. That's why if you take two years to get out of self, that's actually being in self. That's the act of being in self. Being con so concerned about getting out of self is an act of being in self if you're identified as it. What you would call getting out of something is actually being in it here. It's a tricky thing. That's why, really, I need do nothing is one of the greatest invitations. Because everyone here has had a lot of somethings already. Look at what's happened. Nothing. Why not just start with nothing? See how it goes. Yeah? It's not even a transformative event. It's nothing. See you, Yeah. It will transform something here, probably, but it's not a transformative event. Its effects may be transformative to this effect, but it is not a transformative event. It's just always so what it is. It's seen. And it's always available at all times, with no requirement necessary, because you already fulfilled the requirement. You're conscious. All you need to be is conscious to recognize conscious contact. I mean, obviously, something seeing you and feeling, tasting, touching all day, yeah? How could it have been you? You didn't have a name when you were first seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. You were a baby. You didn't even see your mother as different. We, even in this story of being a body, there's huge gaps where there was no idea of a self. The first few years of living, the baby doesn't have any idea of being an individual entity. We grew into this mental idea. Well, a lot of things, yeah. I mean, people accuse and believe some of your thoughts and, um, uh, you know, your parents, uncles, aunts, all these people, they, they have torn all these values and put on Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of making that self start to formulate. Take, take, yeah, yeah, take a shape. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then you start. But then again, though, that's still all appearance. Even the appearance that other people influence this. But this is an appearance, yeah? All it is, it's almost as if mind's dreaming. Yeah? Mind is dreaming. I don't mean mind like ego. I mean mind, yeah? The possibilities of infinity, all that unbelievable, incomprehensible stuff, that mind is dreaming this place. It's not a real place. It's dreaming it. Everything is a verb. 
everything is verbing. There's no noun to be found here. There's no noun at all. No one ever did anything to me, nor did I do anything to anyone else. The mind has just constructed this, and it's dreaming. Yeah. The dream will end, this body will die, and what will happen to the mind? Who knows, but I don't think it's going to end. Like they say, energy can't be created nor destroyed. And there's a lot. I love the Course in Miracles. I was with the Course in Miracles for a while. Well, a beautiful statement of the Course is you're the dreamer of the dream. You forgot that you dreamt it and you've given it all the power to affect you. Yeah? But it also says you're inherently awake so there's nothing to worry about. And as you dream yourself out of this place, your dream will get happier. What a beautiful statement, eh? In other words, there's no pressure. Because whatever you are, and whatever you think you're not, as you are, has no effect. That's the beautiful news. You, are, you have a total irrelevance, which is total freedom. You're irrelevant, in a sense. A definitely concerning mind. So there's nothing I can do. And that when the eye goes, okay, and says, there's nothing I can do, that's also nothing I can do. And then the next time it appears, saying, oh yes, but now I'm the one that's good, that, that's, there's nothing I can do. So wherever the parameters of the eye appearing, there's nothing it can do. There, the wisdom is of no escape. There is no escape as an appearance from the appearance. That's the fucking great news. There's no escape from the appearance as an appearance. That's the great news. The wisdom of no escape. So there's nothing I can do, exactly. Is doing going to occur through this? Obviously. But the, the release of that insane responsibility as if you think you can do yourself into something. Like in, again, the Course in Miracles. One of the basic premises of the Course, in my view of it, is, all right, you have this idea of love and beauty and wholeness, yes? And that's the, represented by name, maybe the name God. And then you have your perceptual experience, you know, separation, people getting murdered right down the street, you know, yelling, people violently abusing others. And terrible things are going on constantly. Now, it's very difficult to put those two together, yes? But let's just say the mind that's confronted with those two ideas the wholeness and beauty and all there is is love, and then your day-to-day -day experience here, the mind confronted with those two aspects, if it's in self-centeredness, yes, it's going to see, okay, there's love and beauty, but now there's separation. I must have had something to do with this. I must have had something to do with me leaving God and now experiencing this separation. This is the guilt of all guilts. This is the basic contraction of self. The feeling that you're the cause of the separation you seem to be experiencing now. When there's an old, old, beautiful idea of wholeness and love and beauty, but it's not translating for you here. And you are going to be written into that story as having something to do with that. In self-centeredness, when I was young, my father got ill. I shared this the other day. I was six years old. My father before then played baseball with me, did all these things with me. Then he got ill. And so he couldn't play with me anymore. So my family, I'm sure, sat me down and talked to me many times. The priest probably came, and the, the, our family doctor came over, and they all said, Paul, your father's very ill. That's why you're not, he's not taking you to tryouts, and he won't be at any baseball games or anything. But in my head... In self-centeredness, I believed I did something to cause my father not to want to play with me anymore. No matter how much therapy they could have given me, no matter how much they talked till they were blue in their face, it wasn't going to change that little hit because of the system of self-centeredness. Now let's expand it to that. Love, beauty, gorgeousness, allness, everywhereness, fantastic nirvana heaven. And then my experience, people getting fucked right down the street, this and that, this and that. You're going to be written into the story why it's this way. And there's going to be that guilt around that. 
And that guilt is going to be an unbearable burden that you're trying to dump every freaking moment you're here by blaming others and everything else. And you'll never unload it because it's not real. There's no separation. Nothing ever happened. If you keep applying solutions to an imaginary problem, that's the bigger problem. Yes? Just see it's an imaginary problem. That's the solution. There is no separation. You're not guilty. Put down the fucking flagellation and everything else. Get off the cross. You're free. You had nothing to do with anything. Your father was ill. That's why he didn't come to your games. It wasn't personal. <laughs> you cannot believe how much... Well, it's a real joy when uh, you become buoyant again. Yes, When you float on the moment of conscious contact. It's a very nice ride. Instead of being heavied and weighed down by all these old ideas and beliefs and this whole fucking heavy-duty system of thought and interpretation you're taking yourself to be. There's no relief in that. There isn't. I mean, go ahead. You'll get some minor reliefs to keep you going, but the seeking will never end because you'll never find the true relief is this. So, if I, if I keep talking, no one will be 